already uh, going through this book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to have to start speeding up here soon. But uh, tonight I want to continue to lay some groundwork uh, for the rest of the book uh, this evening. Uh, we'll read responsibly tonight, first nine verses. Allow me to read the odd-numbered verses. Read with me, please, verses uh, 2 and uh, 4, 6, and 8, please, together here. Follow along as I read in 1 Corinthians 1, 1 to 9, reading responsibly. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything ye are enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that ye come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end, that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. We started a series of messages entitled The Church at Corinth and the Church at Harvest. And I want you to notice verses 1 and 2 again as we uh, uh, review for a few moments here. Paul called him to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God in Sosthenes. We believe Sosthenes was in uh, the church at Corinth. Uh, but now he's with Paul in, in Ephesus. Uh, this is written about 55 A.D. And uh, Sosthenes, our brother. Yeah, but then we get to verse number two, and this is the last message we had in this, uh, this beginning of this series. We talked about the church of God at Corinth. And we made mention, uh, it says, unto the church of God which is at Corinth. A specific local New Testament church, uh, visible we made the comment that uh, 114 times you find the word church in the New Testament, and at least 90 times there's no disputing. Uh, it's talking about local, visible, uh, literal assembly. Uh, there is the church of the firstborn of the living God. Uh, we could talk about the body of Christ. We could talk about uh, one reference uh, where the word church is used. It's used in the church of the wilderness, speaking about the assembly of the, the Israelites, of course, in, uh, in the context in Ephesians, or rather uh, we find in Ephesus there was a mob uh, of people that were, uh, were assembly, uh, assembled together, of course. Uh, but uh, when we see this, and we, we looked at a number of references uh, in regards to the New Testament from, the book, from Romans to Corinthians to the churches at Crete, uh, the island in, the, in Titus 1.5 references that. Uh, of course, the church at Philippi, the seven churches of Revelation, much of the New Testament was written to local New Testament churches, of course. This is a church of God which is at Corinth, uh, individualizing the, the, uh, the, this local independent church. Uh, to them, verse 2, that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. And uh, we see that the, this church, uh, they're, they're called to be saints. Uh, they're in Christ. They're in God. The Father, they have the Holy Spirit of God in them. Uh, they're sanctified in Jesus Christ. And uh, so this book was written to all saints in every age. It's true. It's written to us. But it was first written specifically to a 
local church. And we've entitled our series, of course, uh, uh, The Church at Corinth and The Church at Harvest. And I made mention, if you got the calling post call this morning, or this afternoon, I guess it is, uh, that uh, uh, it's not necessarily a compliment to be aligned with the church at Corinth. So it was a church that had a lot of problems, of course. But uh, I also said on the calling post, and I say it again tonight, uh, there's a compliment to be had, to be aligned with the church at Corinth. They say, how do you get that, preacher? And uh, we'll look at that tonight here. But before we go further here, I want to try to just spend a couple minutes again laying background, uh, giving some background information on regards to the, the city of Corinth, its location. I don't know if we have a map up. Uh, can we get the map up of, uh, uh, we have a map of, uh, there we go. And uh, you see the location on the Peloponnesus or the, the, uh, some would say isthmus, but the, uh, the lower part of Greece, obviously. Uh, lower Greece, for the record, is, uh, uh, is snowing is, uh, uh, pulling this off my head and I can't get it all of a sudden here. It's, uh, uh, I can't believe I can't pull it off my head. Uh, the, the upper Greece is Macedonia, Achaia, there it is, I got it. Uh, lower Greece is known as Achaia. And uh, if you see on the map here, I don't have a pointer, but you see where Corinth is, it's, uh, it joins the uh, Aegean Sea and the Adriatic Sea and the Ionian Sea off to the, the west, of course. It's a, there's a uh, six-mile canal uh, now dug in that same area where Corinth was sat. It was a metropolitan city. You see Athens over to the east and a little to the north, obviously. This is southern Greece, Achaia again. Northern Greece, you see Thessalonica, Berea, Philippi, up there in uh, Macedonia, no, northern mountain towns. And the, the southern towns here, of course, are Delphi, Athens, and Corinth, uh, and uh, Sparta, of course. Uh, those, those not, uh, it's hilly there, too. It's a beautiful country. I've never been to Greece, but it's a gorgeous country. But it's not as mountainous as it is in Macedonia. And uh, these cities were more affluent in the southern Greece of course, and Corinth was uh, uh, a major city, and it's a major city today. It's the uh, second largest city in Corinth, uh, rather in uh, Greece today. Uh, it had a population in Paul's day, uh, they believe, of about a half a million people. So this is a no small town, of course. And so uh, it was a cosmopolitan city. Uh, I'll run through this quickly. I gave you this three weeks ago, when last time we were on this lesson. But it was a um, uh, melting pot of Greeks and Turks and Romans and, of course, Jews. Paul would start off at, uh, so we're going to find out, of course, that the synagogue started with the Jews. The gospel came to Jew first. So it was a cosmopolitan city, a melting pot, uh, very uh, kind of like a New York City of the day. And uh, people from all over the, the, the known world, of course. And it was a sensuous city. Uh, I made reference to this as well. We got to visit Bet Sheehan. And uh, again, we're all adults here. I'm looking around here. And I can, uh, it's almost embarrassing to say uh, some of the things we saw when we went to Israel, uh, you know, we, we, as preachers, we paint that uh, the world is wicked, more wicked than ever before, and, and I'm sure it is. But they were pretty wicked back in uh, Corinth, too, I promise you that, in, in Israel. Uh, we went to uh, visit Bit Sheehan, and every town had uh, the Acropolis, it had their, their version of the malls, and uh, they had uh, uh, Temple of Aphrodite. I don't know if we've got a picture of Temple of Aphrodite, the goddess of love. In the Temple of Apollo, do we have a picture of the uh, the temple there by chance? The Aphrodite and Apollo were both there. It was uh, legalized prostitution, is what it was, and uh, 
It was wholesale immorality, of course, and uh, I, I don't want your mind to run too far, of course, obviously, but there was debauchery of every sort. Uh, I don't think they, we have anything on them uh, that they didn't know they have. It was very wicked. Uh, when we were in Bidshean, we went to uh, uh, ancient uh, bathhouses. I'll let your mind run there, of course. And, and uh, wicked cities is what I'm trying to say. The Las Vegas of the day uh, was this uh, Corinth. There's no city more wicked than Corinth. And uh, more city, uh, no, more, no more cosmopolitan city. Uh, uh, you know what they say: what goes on in Vegas stays in Vegas. What goes on in, uh, you know, when you got a, a whole bunch of different people from different uh, ethnicities and so forth, and uh, melting pots, and you, you have a recipe for uh, uh, sin, uh, wholesale sin. It was a materialistic city, of course. It was strategically located in a. Uh, it was a port city, of course, dealing with commerce and trade. And First uh, uh, Timothy 6, 9 reminds us, they that will be rich. People went there uh, to get rich, of course, and they, they wanted to live the high life and, uh, or the low life, however you want to say it. And so the Bible says, they that will be rich fall into temptation and snare into many foolish and hurtful lust, which drown men in destruction and perdition. And so... It was a cosmopolitan, a melting pot city, a sensuous city, a materialistic city, and a philosophical city, of course, much like Athens to its 54 miles uh, as the crow flies uh, to the west. Uh, they, they followed their gods and their, their prophets and their uh, teachers for Socrates and uh, Plato and uh, years before and uh, Aristotle and Epicurus and Diogenes. And so they, they were uh, like Athens, uh, they were filled with uh, uh, philosophy. And you could sum up the mentality of the average Corinthian with two words. And the two words would be liberty, or really licentiousness, and, and the word knowledge, and which begat, uh, lent itself to feelings of superiority, pride, and arrogance. The Bel Air of the day, the Hollywood of the day, the Las Vegas of the day, the, the Harvard of the day, all wrapped up into one. And this is the city that Paul... Uh, was called to go and uh, minister to. And so I want you to turn in, 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 to Acts chapter 18 quickly, please. And let's spend a, three minutes there in Acts chapter 18 and see the founding of this uh, church in this wicked city. And uh, I'm going to start to read fast verse number one and uh, see this ch church that was founded on Paul's second of three missionary journeys. Again, the year is, uh, we believe, is A.D. 50. And so it's, uh, it's nearly 20 years after Christ is ascended up into glory. And uh, Paul, after these things, after being in Athens, after these things, Paul departed, Acts 18.1, from Athens and came to Corinth. And found a certain Jew named Aquila, uh, born in Pontius, Pontus, uh, lately came from Italy. And so he's an Italian, this, uh, uh, Aquila, uh, with his wife Priscilla, because uh, that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome, and there was, uh, there was already persecution going on in, in uh, uh, A.D. 50. Of course, it's only going to get worse for the Jews. It's going to culminate in A.D. 70, A.D. 67 to 70, and the, the sacking of Jerusalem and so forth, and a lot of history here. But uh, moving on, uh, verse 3, And because he was of the same craft, that's Paul, the apostle was of the same craft as uh, Aquila and Priscilla for he bowed with them and wrought for, uh, by their occupation. They were tent makers. And Paul was a, uh, 
worker, I'd like to just uh, take a sidebar here for a moment here. And uh, uh, the greatest apostle that ever lived, uh, uh, some would say, was uh, uh, worked with his hands. He was uh, bivocational, we would say today. And uh, he worked uh, five, six days a week. I believe he went down to five days a week because he, uh, he honored the Sabbath, even though he was, uh, he was converted out of Judaism. And, uh, but he started on the Lord's Day as well. I'm not saying he didn't work on that day, but I'm saying that uh, we have other precedents to know that uh, we know that the Lord rose on the first day of the week and so forth. But he, he worked throughout the week as a tent maker is the whole point. And uh, uh, work is noble. Work is honorable. And uh, I know many pastors that work, uh, and it seems to be more ca- common than ever before, uh, smaller churches across America and around the world, of course, and uh, if the Lord Jesus could, Christ could be a carpenter for time, certainly before he was probably 12 years old, all the way till he was 30, uh, there's something honorable in work and in hard work, of course. And Paul uh, was was not beneath him to make uh, to supply for his own uh, living, of course, and uh, didn't rob other churches. Uh, and we get to verse number four, and he reasoned in the synagogue. Of course, this is every Sabbath, every Saturday. Uh, and persuaded the Jews and the converted, or the, the, the Greeks that uh, were proselytes to the Jewish religion. And he went in and uh, uh, spoke in the synagogues. And when Silas and Timotheus, or Timothy, we know him as, of course, were come from Macedonia, northern Greece, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the, to the uh, well, just lost my place. Where'd they go? Press there it is, pressed in the spirit and uh, testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. And when they opposed themselves, these are the Jews at the synagogue, and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. And this is a transition verse, by the way, in this book of uh, Acts, of course. It says, I am clean. From henceforth I will go unto the Gentiles. So Paul was, uh, this is free, but Paul was, became the apostle to the Gentiles. Peter was the apostle to the to the Jews, of course, and, uh, and Paul would uh, turn to the Gentiles. And we see immediate results as we go forward here. And we see in verse number uh, 7, And he departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshipped God, whose house was joined hard to the synagogue. And uh, it was next door to the synagogue. Uh, maybe we shared a wall together, of course, in uh, a condominium complex that they were in. And Crispus, the chief uh, ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. And many Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. And go down for verse 17 for time's sake. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, who we read about in chapter 1, verse 1 of 1 Corinthians, the chief ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. We have every reason to believe this is probably the same Sosthenes that we read about in in uh, one one of First uh, Corinthians, of course, and uh, he went with Paul evidently, and uh, after he was beaten, and uh, into Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila, having shorn his head. And this is Paul in Sencrea, uh, for he had a vow. And that's another time, another story, of course, obviously. But uh, we see this this making this comprising of this church on Paul's second missionary journey, and. He, he started off with blue-collar workers, of course, and Aquila and Priscilla. He added a white-collar guy, we would say today, of course, a member of the clergy. 
and the Christmas joined, and, and then Sosthenes, of course, and Jews got saved, but then Gentiles got saved, uh, a number of them, obviously. And so we see this, uh, uh, this founding of this church at Corinth. Let's go back, if we could now, for the balance of our time here, and I'm just looking at the clock here. Uh, uh, go back to chapter 1 of 1 uh, Corinthians, and uh, let me give you the, the blessedness of the church quickly as we dissect these verses. Verse 2 uh, we've already looked at the, the church, at, church of God, which is Corinth, to them that are sanctified. Uh, they, this church was blessed because they were sanctified in Christ Jesus. Uh, every believer in Christ is sanctified by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're called to be saints. We're, hagia, we're, ho, we're, we're called to be holy. And we're made holy. We're justified. Uh, and, and that's every saint of every, every place that named the name of Jesus Christ, of course. And then verse number three. Grace, thank God for that word grace. Unmerited favor, uh, God's riches at Christ's expense. We can't say enough about grace. Uh, marvelous, infinite, matchless grace. Grace be unto you and peace. And shalom in the Hebrew language, of course, is the word. And this peace is referring to not just uh, the absence of strife, but the presence of positive blessing. And uh, every child of God, we have all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. We're already seated in the heavenlies, according to Ephesians 1. We're already blessed in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We're as good as in heaven already. I may not be a multimillionaire, but I'm going to be a multi-trillionaire for, uh, and a son of a king for my entire existence, of course, throughout eternity, and so will you. This is the blessing that we have. Uh, we're saints, we're sanctified, we're holy, we're, uh, we're, we have his grace, we have his peace. But we get to verse number four, verses four through nine, and uh, notice the prayer of thanksgiving. Paul starts off his epistles uh, in the same manner, he gives a, a salutary a, a beginning a address, he, and then he, he goes into a, a prayer of praise. And notice he gives six reasons for the church at Corinth to be thankful. I'm going to rapid fire through these here tonight here. We've already talked about grace, verse number four. It says, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God, which is given you by who? By Jesus Christ. The grace of God. You got the grace of God. If you're in Christ, you have all the grace that you need to, for all eternity, of course. And uh, uh, unmerited favor. It's not anything we deserve. It's not anything we've earned. It's, it's, uh, it's all, all of God, all of him. It's all of Jesus Christ, obviously. So we thank God that this church, of course, can thank God for his grace. Verse number five, they can thank God for his enrichment. Look at verse five. That in everything ye are enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge. We have the riches of his grace in, in two, two ways, in all utterance. And later on in the book, we're going to read about um, the receiving of the sign gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, the nine sign gifts that we'll look at, that uh, these Corinthians were, uh, uh, they, they received these, these, uh, these, these wonderful gifts, of course, these temporary sign gifts as the New Testament was not written at this time, of course. And, to validate the gospel and to validate uh, Jesus Christ himself, of course. But verse number seven, they were, uh, excuse me, verse number five, uh, they had the ability to communicate truth. It says uh, that in everything that ye are enriched by him in all utterance, they were able to communicate the truth, but not only that, they were able to grasp the truth. It says in all knowledge. And Bible reminds us, Jesus said that too much is given, too much shall be required. They, had, they were blessed in every which way you could think of. They were enriched by his grace. They were enriched by the, the uh, utterance of uh, supernatural uh, 
prophecy and sign gifts and so forth, and we'll talk about that in several months from now if we get there, of course, in regards to 1 Corinthians 12 especially. And they were enriched in the ability to grasp truth. But then we get to the third thing, look at verses 6 and 7, and they could thank God for their testimony. This is verse number 6. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, uh, Paul said, I know you're in Christ. You have a testimony that's confirmed. So that ye be behind in no gift. Uh, there is no such thing as a Christian that is uh, inferior in the sense that we're, we're, if you're in Christ, you're in Christ. You're, you're on your way to heaven forever and ever and ever. And there's no such thing as uh, those that are just half in Christ. If you're, if you're in Christ, you're completely in Christ. And you have the testimony of God and the witness of God in you. And uh, it says, verse 7, so that you come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So they, they received these signed gifts again. They, they were expecting of a soon return. They were waiting, notice, for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they had a testimony. We could thank, thank God for their testimony, for their enrichment, for their grace. Number four, for their preservation, verse number eight, or their blamelessness, verse number eight. It says, who shall also confirm you unto the end? that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's the preservation of the saints. There's a, the, the, uh, the saint of God. We're, we're in Christ Jesus. And Romans 8, 33 and 34 tells us, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. If God be for us, who can be against us? We're, we're preserved in Christ Jesus unto the, the day when we're uh, united in him, of course, and uh, we receive a glorious body, of course, and look forward to that day and the full adoption of uh, 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 the sons of God, of course, when we see God in his glory, of course. Verse number nine, uh, we thank, thank God for his faithfulness. God is faithful, and uh, God was faithful to his church at Corinth, and he's faithful, been faithful to us, of course, and uh, he's faithful, 2 Timothy 2, 13, when we're not faithful. When we, we abide unfaithful, yet he abideth faithful. And uh, he's always faithful. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. He, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, of course. And then lastly, in regards to six reasons for the church at Corinth to be thankful, uh, not only for God's grace, for his, his enrichment, for their testimony, for their pr preservation, their blamelessness, that is, their, for God's faithfulness, but lastly, Verse number nine, latter part of the verse, uh, by whom we are called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Notice uh, for the, the fellowship, what a fellowship, what a joy divine leaning on the everlasting arms we have in Christ Jesus. And so uh, here's what we know about Corinth. Now we get to verse number 10 and uh, notice the word now there. That's a uh, transition word that we see, can see throughout this book as we go through it. Every time you find that word now, or most times when you find that word now, it's a transitioning to another thought. I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you. So he's transitioning, and the rest of the book is going to go through problems. The church at Corinth had a ton of problems. I don't want to end on a sour note tonight. We just have a few moments here, but Harvest Baptist Church has a ton of problems. I've said it many times when I say that, uh, one of the biggest problems is the guy behind the pulpit, of course. Uh, he's a sinner, obviously, and uh, I'm not talking to any sinners. You're all saints here, of course, but uh, the truth be told, uh, we're all sinners, of course, and uh, we've got a long ways uh, to go, a long ways to clean up. 
this church in this very wicked city, not blaming it on the city, and not blaming it on their culture per se, but this is a city, this is a church that uh, was uh, uh, in, in a very pagan, wicked world. And I want you to go back, and we're going to end here in the last three minutes here. We have back to Acts 18, and look at what the, the Word of God says. This church at Corinth uh, had a lot of problems, no perfect church. It, uh, Paul is commanded to go to this city, and he obeys the Spirit of the Lord, and he goes and he ministers for 18 months. He should have went to the Bible Belt. He should have went to the north uh, there to uh, 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 Macedonia and to uh, Berea, more noble than those in Thessalonica. And uh, he should have went to where uh, Christianity was hot, and I don't mean to uh, dispel or dis disparage any Christians that move south. I can't blame Christians for moving south uh, in our country and move to South Carolina or to a, the Bible Belt and uh, get away from this pagan uh, New England that we live in. But uh, somebody's got to live here. Somebody's got to serve God in uh, uh, wicked cities and wicked places, uh, pagan places, of course. And uh, we see here that the God was the author of this. And it says in Acts 18, uh, verse number 9, uh, verse number eight, and let me finish up here. And many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. Then spake, verse number nine, the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision. God came to Paul and he says, listen to me, I want you to stay in Corinth. He's going to stay there for a year and a half, a long time for uh, the Apostle Paul to stay in one place, of course, and minister and start this great church at Corinth. Uh, uh, it says, uh, be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace. He said, to give the gospel. For I am with thee, verse number 10, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. Notice that God said, I have much people in this wicked pagan city. And I would say that God has much people in northwest Connecticut, in Hartford, in Bridgeport. And, and I was in Waterbury this morning, of course, obviously. And uh, I was down uh, through the, uh, how can I say it, the, the east, uh, southeast side. Uh, uh, some of you know where I'm referring to uh, uh, East and a little south of uh, uh, where St. Mary's is at, in a pretty rough neighborhood uh, for the record here, of course. And God has people there and so forth. And uh, uh, Corinth was not a perfect church, it was far from it. Harvest Baptist Church is not a perfect church, far from it. And, and uh, until, uh, but, but here's the punchline here tonight here. They were loved by God. And God uh, said he had people chosen out for his name there in Corinth, and he has people chosen out here in uh, New Hartford and Torrington, and uh, uh, so, so we're loved by the Lord, of course, and they, so we, uh, we get to be aligned with this great church, I say this great church, and now everybody that, that was in this church here at Paul's Day, of course, they're, they're sanctified now, boy, I promise you, and they're, they're in heaven, of course, and they're, uh, they're enjoying the grace of God and, and uh, enjoying his peace and uh, his, uh, say, his holiness and uh, they're blameless and so forth and uh, one day we're going to join them in heaven until then God's called us to go forward and bring much people to Christ of course and so let's rescue the perishing care for the dying snatch him in pity from sin in the grave uh, uh, as I uh, my heart uh, be honest with you got uh, softened as I saw Dave uh, uh, reminded me of my brother in the nursing home uh, he's sitting there, laying there, and uh, all I could do is grab his hand and say, Dave, uh, let me share with you the gospel. And uh, 
uh, maybe wishful thinking on my part, but I, I explained the gospel and prayed the gospel with him. And uh, uh, maybe he, in his heart, maybe he's received Christ. I don't know. It's my hope, of course. And uh, this rescued perishing care for the dying before it's too late, of course. This is bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Help us to be about your business, we pray. Help us to um, throw out the lifeline and rescue the perishing. And we'll thank you for it, Lord. I pray that you dismiss your blessing here in these last moments together. But uh, do a work of grace in these last 90 seconds or so together, I pray in Christ's name I ask. Amen.